So we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. So Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, so that you may follow them in the land that you're about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands I'm giving you, your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord The God of your ancestors has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord, is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. This is God's word to us. How's that? Whoa, hey, wasn't in properly. It's been a while since I've preached here, guys. Um, we are doing something a little bit differently. Not only are you having me preach, not only are we breaking away from the Mark series, thanks for letting me have this opportunity, but after the sermon, we're going to have uh, a time for Q&A. Um, well, you can ask me things about the sermon, I guess, if you have questions about it, but it's going to be so foolproof that you won't have any uh, <laughs> related to the sermon. Um, but you can also ask uh, anything related to Seychelles. You know, lots of you have come to Bible studies, have heard things about Seychelles from us. You can ask uh, things about deputation. Mike, is it all right if I get Lynn up as well and then she can answer, yeah, I just, we didn't coordinate that before, so he can't say no. Um, <laughs> that's, that's how you play the game, everyone. Um, so, uh, if you want to ask us any things about um, what we've been doing over the last few months in deputation, what we did in Melbourne, what we're hoping to do in Seychelles, feel free to throw whatever at me, and uh, yeah, you can ask me about the Trinity, and I can try to explain that, and that'll, that'll take up the whole uh, service. Anyway, um, uh, thanks again for giving uh, us this opportunity, and um, uh, yeah, I, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, my story, 
um, and how my story uh, in mission, uh, it, it doesn't start with just me. Actually, uh, I'm just a, a little part of a bigger story uh, that God is weaving uh, in the world uh, through His Son, Jesus, and that actually my story uh, isn't complete without thinking about my family and uh, how I fit into that. See, when I was seven or eight, my grandfather, he sat me down to tell me that he was praying for me. He said, this is, this, this is the thing that he was praying for me. He said, my grandfather was a Christian minister. My father was a Christian minister. I am a Christian minister. You can see him in the robes there. My son is a Christian minister. He's the one in the suit in the bottom. But none of my grandchildren seem to be going in the direction of Christian ministry. So I'm praying that you, Ryan, will one day be a minister too. Now, I was seven or eight, right? I was the, that little one in the red shirt, and uh, I was gobsmacked. I, I, why such a lofty prayer? I, I just wanted to be, a, you know, a train driver or an astronaut. Um, and here he was praying this grand prayer. I, I had a lot of respect for my grandfather. He was a very righteous man and uh, lived a really uh, life of integrity. And here I was, a, a terrible child, you know. I'd punch my brother for no reason and, you know, have a little bit too much Coca-Cola, more than my fair share. Uh, and I thought, how could I live up to these lofty expectations? Now, for most of my life, I assumed he was just saying this to all the grandkids and hoping that it would stick with one of us. But then my cousin actually told me recently, no, he singled me out for some reason. <laughs> now, imagine if all you had in life was a, weight, a, a lofty responsibility like this, a, a, a heavy challenge that you didn't know how you would be able to live up to. Imagine if all you had was this expectation to be someone significant. Well, it would feel crushing, wouldn't it? If you think, oh, I'm not measuring up to the standard that someone has for me. Now, even though his prayers, uh, it, uh, you know, it didn't really, I didn't really think about it much as I was thinking about uh, going into ministry, I do think that God actually was working through his prayers. He was working through my grandfather's prayers to grow my heart in a love for God's word and a love for God's people and in a love for passing uh, this good news on to more in his world. And you know, the prayers of my grandfather, they kind of, they put my middle class prayers to shame. Because uh, when I pray for my kids, I usually stop at praying for their comfort or maybe their stability. At best, I might pray that they might have a Christian faith. But I don't often ask God boldly that they might be sacrificial in the way that they live their Christian life. I don't often pray that they would seek to serve God beyond what is comfortable. See, the difference between my middle-class prayers and my grandfather is that he was captured by a love for Christ. And I could see the ways that it permeated his heart and his soul and his strength See, today's passage in Deuteronomy, it's, it's one of the most significant passages in the whole Bible. And the key thing that it says is that the only God requires a wholehearted worship. 
And this is something that I think uh, we as a family will need to hold tightly to as we go to Seychelles. Uh, but I think it's good news for not only Seychelles to hear, but the people of Toon Gabby to hear as well. So let me pray for us as we dig into this passage together. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. Let your word be our rule and guide, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, as you hear that phrase, wholehearted worship, I wonder what you think it looks like. What does wholehearted worship look like in our day-to-day lives? Well, if we are honest with ourselves, we know that it's more than showing up to church on Sunday, isn't it? In fact, it's more than just our mere attendance to things like Bible study or church. It's even more than our kind of daily devotional life, those bits where we sit and we read the Bible and we pray. Actually, wholehearted worship needs to be this thing that permeates every aspect of our life. So when we hear something like Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 to 9 read, we feel the weighty responsibility, don't we, of trying to live up to this. See, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, it's one of the most significant books in the Bible. It's Moses, uh, the greatest prophet of uh, that um, Old Testament generation, preaching uh, a series of sermons before he dies. And the purpose of these sermons is to remind a new generation of Israelites that uh, a people that have spent their whole lives wandering in the desert that they actually have a special relationship with the God who made the universe. Right at the start of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses reminds them that God has already saved them out of slavery in Egypt. God loves them like a father. So the, the law that's given to them, it's after they've already been saved. And it, it's not a way to... Uh, gain God's favor, but it's a right way for them to live in light of their reality as the children of God. See, here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he starts by talking about the book as a whole, that they are laws that God told them to teach the people before they enter the promised land. It reminds them throughout this chapter that these laws, they are good laws that God has given to his people, and that they are uh, to live it out in preparation for the good land that God has given to his people. And as you hear the description of the land, uh, it's it's this picture of abundance, isn't it? It's, It's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Now, when I was a kid, I used to think it was like quite a messy place to live in Israel because, you know, you'd be walking for a bit and your feet would get all milky and then you'd walk a bit more and your milky feet would get stuck with honey and you'd just have dirty feet the whole time, which is probably why Jesus had to wash his disciples' feet. (laughs) But I understood later in life uh, that it was just a metaphor, a a picture of abundance Israel, uh, if you've been there, if you've been to that, I used to live in Kuwait in the Middle East. It's desert everywhere. Nothing grows uh, except sand. Um, I don't know if sand grows, but uh, there's just sand everywhere. And God is promising that they're going to have a part of this 
sandy area where there's going to be abundance, where it's going to flow with milk and honey. And in verse 2 to 3, he says that the promises he's saying is not just for uh, the generation in front of him, but it's for future generations as well. And he uh, encourages them to four key actions. They are to fear, to keep, to hear, and to obey. Moses' reminder to them is that if they do these things, if they fear, keep, hear, and obey, then they will be numerous. They will be abundant as a people as well, just as God promised. And then in verse 4, he gives them the million-dollar verse. Uh, this is a verse that Jewish people treasured uh, even today, and observant Jews would recite this verse twice a day. Uh, it's called the Shema after that first word, which means here. Uh, and this is what they say. They say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This verse, it speaks of the unity of God, uh, contrasting Him to the many nations around them who thinks there are many gods that they ought to worship. But it also speaks to the exclusivity of God. Of God. He's not one God of many. He is the only God. All those other nations are serving false gods. And so if you know this God, if you know His character and His nature, uh, Moses encourages them to respond rightly to him. In verse 5, he says that they are to love him with their heart, with their soul, and with their strength. Verses 6 to 9 suggest that Moses wanted these truths to be everywhere in Jewish society, in their hearts and in their minds. He wanted to be there when they sleep and when they wake up. He wanted that to be there in their homes and when they go out into work or into the marketplace. It was supposed to be permeated through their whole lives and not just an add-on for Saturday or for Sunday. And when Jews heard this challenge, they uh, took it, some, some took it quite literally. Uh, see, some Jewish people, they have these things called phylacteries, which are these little boxes that contain the Shema. And they had a little scroll in them with those words on them, because the passage said you have to have it on your minds wherever you go. So we'll stick it literally on there so that we can keep that law. And others, uh, they put a little um, box on their doorposts with a scroll of the Shema in them. Again, because it says you're supposed to have it on your doorpost. So they put it there as a reminder of uh, who God is, a, a physical, tangible way for them to remember. Now, although this kind of literal interpretation, it's not bad, particularly if it helps people point to the content, uh, but often literal things like this can turn into superstition, can't they? Uh, and in some uh, Jewish society, people think that they would uh, gain God's blessing or His protection if they touch the mezuzah as they enter. Um, but the purpose that Moses seems to have in mind is that these words would actually be a, an internal reminder, a constant reminder to them of their reality, of their exclusive relationship with the God of the universe. And he wants it to permeate it through their lives so that they worship God wholeheartedly. 
Now you're wondering, you're probably wondering why we're taking a break from our Mark series and, you know, you've got the our mission kind of week this week and why am I preaching Deuteronomy 6 as a mission sermon? Why not something like Matthew 28, you know, the Great Commission? Um, that's, a, that's a missionary classic sermon. Or maybe Romans 10 where Paul says, how can anyone hear unless someone goes to preach them? That's like a, you know, a six, preach that one. But... It's actually in light of our Mark series in chapter 12, verse 29 and 30, Jesus describes this as the greatest command. Jesus describes this as the main game of worshiping God in our whole life. It's, and that's the main game of mission, to, to promote wholehearted worship of God here in Toon Gabby as well as in Seychelles. And, and that's something that we want to hold tightly to as we go to Seychelles. Because it's a truth that we think Seychelles will need to hear time and time again. We haven't been there yet, but all our reading, all our research suggests that there's a lot of evidence that uh, people have a nominal faith, that they might say that they're Christian, they might even attend church on a Sunday, but their faith doesn't actually transform them. It doesn't permeate through their whole lives into wholehearted worship of God. People often will just call themselves Christian because of their parents or their grandparents, and they don't hold to a wholehearted worship of God. In fact, people might even be at church on a Sunday, but when a problem arises during the week, They'll go instead to the witch doctor on Wednesday and ask for a potion or a spell to try to treat that. You can see how Seychelles might need to be encouraged to wholehearted worship of God, don't you? But it's true of us as well, isn't it? So what do we do with a passage like this? How do we apply something like this that feels so challenging, that feels so daunting? How... Does it affect the way we live? Uh, There are lots of ways that people read the Bible, and here's one that I think is wrong, okay? Uh, Let me make this clear. This is not a real application. Uh, See, we can look look at a passage like this, and we can start to feel guilty, can't we? We have failed to love God as we ought. We need to do better. The reason we don't have all of God's blessings is because we don't keep our end of the bargain. I wonder what ways you have failed to live up to God's standards of obedience recently. Maybe instead of loving Him with your whole heart, you've let your heart be corroded by love of money instead. Maybe instead of loving Him with your mind, You've let your mind wander and fantasize about that coworker instead. Maybe instead of loving him with all your strength, you're exhausted by playing social soccer yesterday, and so you're too knackered to give more to God on Sunday. Well, this is your wake-up call. Give away your money, quit your job, quit soccer, so that you can focus wholeheartedly on God instead. Are you feeling encouraged? Are you feeling like that weight's lifted off? No, that's not a real application because the weight of the law is a burden that we just can't lift. I want to encourage you that actually the Christian way to read the Bible is much more freeing. 
Because we can't take a passage that was for Israel. You heard when Ian read it, he said, Here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. We can't take a passage that applied to Israel and didn't just transpose it directly to us in 21st century Tungeri. Uh, there's a better way to read the Bible, and it's called biblical theology. Uh, it sees the Bible as this one big story all about what God is try- doing to redeem the world through Jesus. This method of reading the Old Testament as good news by applying it through Jesus is one of the reasons that the Archbishop in Seychelles asked CMS Australia to send evangelicals to do ministry there. Because one of the strengths of Australian theology is how we do biblical theology, how we read the Old Testament in light of Jesus. It's not that the people in Seychelles are uneducated or foolish. It's that they've never been trained to read the Bible with Jesus at the focus of the whole thing, at the center of the whole thing. And so the archbishop, the man in the middle, he wants us to go to help train his people in this method that we take for granted. Uh, So let me have a go at, uh, I think, a more appropriate way to apply this passage. And that is that uh, the purpose of the law for the Christian is to reveal three things to us. The first thing that the law does is it reveals our sin. See, it is true that our sin gets in the way of loving God rightly. Uh, We do keep distracting ourselves from wholehearted worship of God, maybe because of our pride or our love of possessions or our worldly passions getting in the way. But in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, it says that unless someone lives out the whole law in every single detail, unless they live it out perfectly and completely, they are cursed. So if we try to do better when we realize our sin and we try to kind of pick ourselves up and do it on our own and try to live out the law and fail, inevitably fail, we put a curse on ourselves. So the second purpose of the law is that it does reveal God's standards. It shows that God's standards are things that are perfection, and we can't meet it. Uh, Romans chapter 3, it reminds us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not that uh, some of us are better at meeting God's standards than others, or, you know, there's a hierarchy between us. No, all of us fall short of God's standards. But Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. See, the final purpose of the law, when we realize our sin and our inability to meet God's standards, is that it points us to our need of a Savior. We can't do it ourselves. It's not in keeping the law that we are safe, but in belonging to Christ. You see, Jesus, He's the only one who loved God perfectly. He's the only one who met His standards of perfection. He obeyed Him even to the point of death on a cross. 
And he gives us that righteousness that he had through our union with him. See, the promise for a Christian is a spiritual heart transplant. Our natural hearts, they're stubborn, they're sinful, they're unable to love God rightly. But here's how God steps in. Here's the promise that he makes in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So what does wholehearted worship look like? Well, it's a work of the Spirit. That we can even remember God, that we can even seek to follow Him is God's Spirit working in us. And there's wisdom for us in the law because it does reveal our sin. It reveals God's standards. It shows us God's good purposes for the world. But we don't have to keep it to get God's blessings. We already have His blessings if we put our trust in Jesus through God's Spirit in us. Let me tell you a secret about our family. We don't somehow have more access to God than the rest of you. We don't have some secret to worship that the rest of you don't have. We're not like super Christians that are going, you know, that somehow we've achieved the next level than the rest of you guys, and that's why we're going as missionaries. No, the secret that we know is the same one that you know, the same one that my grandfather knew, that it's not that about how wholeheartedly we can worship God, because we can't. It's actually about how wholeheartedly God loved us, that He sent His only Son to die on the cross for us. See, God forgives our failure to wholeheartedly worship Him, and He transforms us. So He is able to make useless people like the Vigis family useful for His service. See, a passage like this, it actually ought to stimulate our gratitude to, go, to Christ because the weight of the law has been lifted. But it also can motivate our love to seek to honor God rightly in all things. See, the point of loving God rightly, it's not to put these phylacteries and mezuzahs to try to remind us to love God, but it's to remind us that it springs from a changed heart, from God's Spirit at work in us. And the encouragement to pass this on to the next generation, that's not an obligation for us, but there is great wisdom in passing this on to the next generation, isn't there? We have this pearl of great price in Christ that we want the next generation to desire more than anything else. Our joy as a Christian community is not to keep this great news to ourselves, but to pass it on. And what a reminder in light of Kate and Elise's baptism that one of our responsibilities is together to disciple young people to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. This should stop our middle-class prayers, shouldn't it? See, my grandfather, he may have challenged me, but the thing, the more important thing that he did was that he prayed. He prayed every day for his grandson, uh, bold prayers. And his prayers changed my life 
to respond rightly to Jesus. This is the hope that we have as we go to Seychelles, that we want to train and encourage believers to be able to see the gospel in all the scriptures, to be able to see the path between the law to the gospel. We would love for you, when you pray for us, uh, to pray bold prayers. Don't just pray for our comfort. Pray that God's powerful work would be, uh, powerful spirit would be at work in the hearts of Seychellois people to love God wholeheartedly. We're really thankful that many of you have already uh, signed up to pray for us, that many of you have financially partnered with us. We would love for you to, if you haven't yet, to consider whether you could be generous with the money that God has given you to send us in your place, to be your arms and legs, to be, you know, ministers at a distance of Toongabi Anglican uh, in Seychelles, Uh, to... uh, Equip us to send us to remind Seychelles of the goodness of the gospel for as long as God would have us there. The only God requires our wholehearted worship. And He doesn't just require it of us gathered here today, but He requires it of the people of Toongabbie and Pendle Hill and Wentworth Will and all of Sydney. He requires it of all of Seychelles. And He has stepped in place through His Son Jesus to make that possible. So as we go, know that we'll be praying for you here at Toongabi. Uh, as uh, you do this local um, mission outreach workshop, we'll be praying that you'll be thinking of creative ideas, uh, of ways to be missional in this context, to encourage people to look at Christ. This is my prayer for all of us uh, in our life here but also for our family as we go and serve the people in Seychelles. Would you join with me in praying now? I thank you, Father, for the reminder to wholehearted worship. Thank you that you have made a way for us to be able to love you with our whole selves as we ought, through Christ's work of dying and rising to life, and through his Spirit's work in transforming our hearts to be able to love God rightly. Please help us all partner together in bringing the good news of Jesus to a dying world that doesn't know it yet, both here in Toongabbie as well as when we go to Seychelles. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.